Did you ever see that book for kids called The Emperor's New Clothes? Right? So I feel like that's kind of what's happening as we learn about this armor. It's stuff that you may have heard about. It may be brand new to some of you. But it's like we don't realize what we possibly have, what is at our disposal. And uh, we're discovering what this all looks like. We've talked about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and uh, uh, the shoes on our feet and the shield of faith. And this week we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. And just to give a little background here, so Paul is writing to a bunch of believers in Ephesus and he is talking about this spiritual warfare that we are in and he is advising them to put on this armor, this suit of, of, of armor, like a spiritual, uh, the spiritual equipment that we need to fight this type of battle. And so this series that we're in called Body Armor goes into a little bit more detail about how each one of these articles of the armor affect us and what we should do with it. And so today, what I'm, here's, here's what I'm hoping today. Like we're going to talk about what he says in verse 17, and that is the helmet of salvation. He says this, and take the helmet of salvation. And then next week we'll talk about the last half of this verse and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But this idea of taking the helmet of salvation, what I'm hoping that we grasp today is that we as believers have underestimated and undervalued the salvation that we have in Christ. The helmet that, that normally would have been worn by Roman soldiers was either made of metal like this one is or made out of leather. And the idea was obviously to protect the head. And as it evolved into what, it, what we see here, it, uh, different pieces were added to it to protect the cheeks and the forehead better and the neck. And then sometimes there was even a piece over the bridge of the nose. And the idea was, was to protect ultimately if the shield, you know, if something got through the shield or you're in hand-to-hand combat then this would protect any kind of blows to the head. And uh, the helmet of salvation is something um, that I think that maybe we've misunderstood a little bit. I don't know what your church background is or if you've ever read about this or you've ever been in a service or maybe at a church where they did a series on the helmet of salvation. Because what always puzzled me was that it's like the fifth piece of equipment we put on. And I thought you got saved first. Like I thought being, like I thought your relationship with Christ is where it all began. And so it always kind of puzzled me why this was where it is as far as the order of things. So when Paul is speaking of the helmet of salvation, he is, keep in mind, he's speaking to those who are already saved. So the book of Ephesus was written to a church in Ephesus. So these are believers. Now, now, let me just say, I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. I don't know if you're figuring this all out, if you're just here to kind of, you know, ask questions or just kind of observe and discover and you're not there yet. I think that this means still something significant for you. But this was written to believers, people who were already saved. And so, not to mess your world up too much, I don't think that he's talking about getting saved here. I think when he talks to these believers about putting on the armor and specifically putting on the helmet of salvation, I don't know that he is primarily saying at this point it's time to get saved because I think he's, he understands who he's writing to. So why is he telling people who are saved to put on the helmet of salvation? 
Well, if you kind of think through it, the helmet's designed to protect the brain, which then controls all the functions of the body. So understanding our salvation and understanding the importance of protecting our spiritual head, if you will, and all that it means is necessary for us to function properly as a believer. So what your brain is to your, to your body, your mind is to your soul. It's necessary for the believer to put on the helmet of salvation in order to protect themselves from the doubt and discouragement that the enemy will try to attack us with. Second Corinthians is also a book written by Paul, this one to a church in Corinth. And he says this, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, like, you know, you can touch and feel, right? So you're walking in the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down, interesting word here, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing, this is incredible, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How important is it that you protect your mind to the strength of your soul? Notice the connection that Paul is making here between the battle that we're engaged in and our minds and our thoughts and our imaginations. Because thoughts eventually equal action. And so he, what he's saying is you need to put on this helmet of salvation in order to protect your mind, in order to protect your soul. But here's, here's where I'm going with, with most of the message right here. If I tell you all the message, you'll get up and leave when I'm done with this statement. So I got to like keep something in reserve to keep you here. But here's the idea that we think of salvation as kind of something that happened in my past. So to give you an idea, so when I was nine years old, somebody invited my dad to go to a tent meeting. We were in Anniston, Alabama. My dad was stationed at Fort McClellan uh, Army Base. And some coworker of my dad said, hey, I'm going to go hear this guy preach. And his name was Lee Castro, the preacher. And Lee Castro had set up in the Kmart parking lot in Anniston, Alabama, a big old white tent. They used to call them camp meetings back in the day. And they were wood slat chairs, right? And so I went, my sister went, and my dad went. And Lee Castro preached about salvation. He preached about staying out of hell. And quite literally, he scared me. And so I went forward, and someone took the Bible and showed me what Jesus had done for me, and I placed my trust in Jesus Christ. And as a nine-year-old boy, our vernacular would say, I got saved. You may be familiar with the term born again. But something happened when I was nine years old. So here I am, 26, 27 years later. looking back on my salvation experience as something that happened in my past. But here's what I want to like wake us up about. Our salvation touches our past, but also our present and our future. And so the reason 
Paul is so adamant about believers putting on the helmet of salvation is it's not something that just happened to you. It is something that should be happening to you and will continue to happen to you. So what this salvation does for us is more than provide a fire escape. It does more than just keep us out of hell. Our helmet of salvation, first of all, offers security. And I love, I love the wording here. I know, I wrote the message, right? It's not what I meant. But I, but I intentionally put the word offers. Because just because it offers it doesn't mean we live in that. And so that's why, that's why this is so important, in my opinion, because the security that salvation offers is something that so many people don't choose to live in. And yet God wants us to live in security. So here's the security. So we're not, we're not, talking, about, we're not talking about perfection here. So I got saved when I was nine, and I promise you, I have sinned a lot since I was nine years old, at least five or six times, maybe seven or eight, right, in those 26 years. So it's like from, from that point in my life, it's not that I have been perfect since I got saved. Newsflash, neither of you, right? But we're talking about forgiveness. And so here, here's the truth. We are saved from the penalty of our sin. And so the security that we are offered when, when we are in a relationship with Christ and we have the helmet of salvation and how this affects us is, is we are saved from the penalty of sin. And we've talked about it, that Christ paid for all of my sin. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I am as guilty as they come. I deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity. But because of his love for me, he gave his son, who lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and paid for all of my sin. And the death of Christ that paid the debt of my sin allows me then to be released from the debt that I incurred because of my sin, and I walk away free, debt-free. That's the freedom that I enjoy from the penalty of sin. And God, here's the thing, God wants you to live in that freedom. Look at what uh, John said, the Apostle John said in 1 John 5. He said this, and this is the record, that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And here's two buckets. He gives us two buckets, right? First bucket, he that has the son has life. The other bucket, he that has not the son has not life. Pretty definite, right? You either have it or you don't. So if you have received Christ and you're trusting him with your life and with your soul and with your salvation, then you're in this bucket over here, you have life. So then here's what he says. Now, now addressing those people who have life, he said, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that you may know 
that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, oftentimes in the New Testament, the Greek word for know is the word gnosko, which is an intimate knowing. Like I really know a lot about my wife. This word know is a lot simpler than that. This, this word know, like he wants you to know, is he wants you to have that aha moment. He wants you to perceive it. He wants you to understand this life that you have. And so what he's saying is, if you have believed on the name of the Son of God, you have life. And I'm writing all of this to you so that you will understand what you have, so that you will perceive the life that you get to have. So here, here's the truth. Security of the believer is a fact. Assurance is a feeling. So you say, Eric, you don't understand. I, you know, I'm not living the way that I should. I mean, I, I, I trusted Christ when I was younger or I trusted Christ a year ago. And I know that, I know, the, I know what you're saying, but I, I haven't been living the way that I, okay. Security is a fact. Assurance is a feeling. And I will say this, depending on the type of person you are, like what your personality is, I think some people struggle with this more than others. I'm a very pragmatic guy. Boom, I did it at nine years old, I'm good. That's, that's how I am. I know that I've not been perfect, but I'm very secure in my relationship with God. I don't think Melissa was so much that way growing up. And I, yeah, but I mean, she was, because she was, she was guilted a lot in the church that she grew up in. And it was thrown at her all the time, well, you must not be saved. How can you live that way? And so it, it began to bring these doubts in. That's not how God wants us to live. All right? God wants you to be secure in the salvation. Listen, he gave his son so you could know him. He doesn't want you doubting that relationship. He wants you secure in that relationship. Listen, my wife and I celebrated our 29th anniversary yesterday, right? We've had like six or seven great years <laughs> since our 23rd. And yeah, uh, I was playing that in my mind this afternoon. I was like, all right, that's not funny. So we've had 29 great years, and then I'm a real slow decision maker, so it took me like two years to ask her to marry me. So, so, you know, we've been together a long time. We have a very secure relationship. But I remember when we first got married, right, she would ask me these three questions all the time. Like if I was being quiet or if I hadn't said I love you in the last three minutes. Are you mad at me? No? No? Oh, okay, okay. Are you upset with me? No, I'm not mad. I'm not. Are you disappointed? Are you disappointed in me? Wearing me out, right? No, I got gas. That's what the problem is. I'm not. Yeah, I have no, I have no problem with you. So we, we came with this M-U-D, mud, right? Mad, upset, or disappointed. No, no, I'm none of those things. And it was like, I, I felt like we couldn't get over that. Like I couldn't get, like, no, we're good, babe. We're good. And we are good. We're good together. And I love this woman. We, we have a dream life. I really believe that. And I am so grateful for this relationship that I enjoy. 
But how tormenting would it be if, if all the time throughout the day we're always doubting each other's love for each other and the relationship that we have and the security. You know, like if we always threw out the D word all the time. And we have that insecurity in our relationship. It doesn't create a healthy relationship. And God doesn't want you to live that way either. And he, what more does he need to do to show how much he loves you? He's not standing over you with a hammer waiting for you to mess up. He loves you enough to give his son to have a relationship with you. Come on. Live in that security. Security is a fact. Now, I will say this. A lot of times we don't feel so assured because we aren't living the way that we're supposed to live. So I'm not saying we're scot-free and can just do whatever we want to willy-nilly. There is, I don't even know what willy-nilly is, but in my relationship with my wife, there, there are responsibilities that I have to her. I need to be faithful, right? That sure helps our relationship. Understatement of the day. If I'm faithful to her, if I love her, if I care for her, if I do for her, it helps our relationship. And so maybe, maybe your lack of assurance or, the, or that feeling that you don't have, that you wish you did, is because you need to get something right with the Lord. But it doesn't change the fact that you are secure in him. My salvation and my security in that salvation is not up to me. Look what Paul said to his son of the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I'm not holding on to God's hand. He's holding on to my hand. My salvation and the security of my salvation is not up to me it's up to him the quality of my relationship yeah that's i i i i need to make changes in my life that seem unnatural maybe supernatural as i live in obedience to him and it makes a difference in how i feel But living in the security that salvation brings protects us against the doubts and discouragement that are thrown at us and the blows that our enemy tries to attack us with. Putting on the helmet of salvation helps protect me from that. So it offers security. This helmet that we put on also offers help. We've been saved. That's a done deal. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. That's taken care of. And our eternal security and our relationship with God is established. But it doesn't stop there. Not only does the helmet of our, not only are we freed from the penalty of sin, we're freed from the power of sin. So here's what's encouraging. Is you don't have to do stupid stuff. Some of you are gifted. Right? I should say some of us are gifted. But we don't have to live that way. We are freed from the power of sin. We have the ability because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to have power over the bad habits and the sins that we might commit. We are saved from the power of sin. Now now check this out. James chapter 1. Of course, James, again, writing to believers 
He says this in James chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. Okay, he's writing to Christians, okay? Lay apart all filthiness, and I love the King James right here, and all superfluity of naughtiness. Is that just great? I'm not even sure what it means. It just loves, it's like all superfluity of naughtiness, right? It doesn't sound good, but it sounds great. But um, So we're supposed to, okay, superfluity is abundance. It's like, it's like so much of it that you have left over, okay? So we're supposed to lay apart all of that, put it aside, and receive with meekness the engrafted word. Now, James is writing to believers, and what does he say? Which is able to save your souls. What? I thought I got saved back here. So you're writing to a believer saying that my actions, laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, receiving with meekness the engrafted word, is able to save my soul. But you just told me, Eric, that what happened there gives me security. Yeah, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying that God doesn't just want to save your soul. He wants to save your life. And as you receive with meekness the engrafted word, that, in other words, you are, you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you're reading his word, it, it begins to change not your eternal destiny, but it begins to change the life that you're living here on earth. Salvation is much more than a home in heaven. It is meant to change your life. And as we put on the helmet of salvation, it does more than protect us from going to hell. It protects our mind and how we think about the life that we live here on earth. God has blessed us with a home in heaven, which completely changes how we live here on earth. And he's given us the Holy Spirit, Inside of us, he's given us the word of God to read and give us instruction. And these are the tools and the information that we need to live like a child of the king. Not only that, so we get that help. Not only that, who you are in Christ is part of the spiritual inheritance that you get. So, so here's like, so I ordered this um, helmet from a medieval craftsman known as Amazon. <laughs> and I had to wait like, gosh, I think like 24 hours for it to get to the house. It was ridiculous. So I order this thing and I get it. And like, here's what so many of us think. So I, I, I'm one of those kind of guys that like I open it immediately. Like unless it's protein powder. I don't care about protein powder. Like, just that, that can just sit on the shelf. I know what that's like. But something like this, like, I'm, I'm opening it right away. Like, I'm dropping my briefcase, going to the counter, getting a kitchen knife, and I'm opening this thing up right away, right? And then popping all of the extra things that are in there to keep it from knocking around. So I open this thing up right away. But here's what so many of us do with our salvation, right? We get saved, and we have this incredible package, and we wait to open it until we get to heaven. And yet, and yet there's a whole benefit package that we get to enjoy right here on earth because of our salvation. We have a spiritual inheritance. 
in Romans chapter six, uh, Romans chapter eight, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he says, "The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God." I love this, by the way. The Spirit, big S, bears witness with our spirit, little S. So the Holy Spirit agrees with our spirit that we are the children of God. Isn't that great? Thank you. All right. <laughs> Two of us get it. And if children, then heirs, heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. I don't even begin to understand what that means. We are heirs of God. Like how excited would you be if you found out you had a rich uncle? And he named you in his will, right? How great would that be? And it was like winning the lottery, right? And you get this flood of an inheritance. We are heirs of God. I can't even comprehend what that is. And we're joint heirs with Christ. We're sitting on the couch in the lawyer's room. Jesus is right next to us and we're going, I can't wait to see what we get. Like, we, we're joint heirs with Christ. With whatever we're getting from God. That's a big deal. We should live in the inheritance that we enjoy. The enemy wants to convince you that you are sinful and worthless and full of trouble. And I, don't tell me. I think a lot of that's true. Like, we, 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 we tend to be sinful. We, we do have a lot of trouble. But that's not how God sees us. Man, we're precious in the sight of God. I would encourage you to read Psalm 139 sometime. Oh, my word. It goes into detail about how much God knows you. And then in verses 16 and 17, he said, he said but how precious are your thoughts to me, oh God. I can't even number them. God knows everything about you, and he still loved you enough Hey, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I believe God lives in the present. He lives in the past. He, is, he is, lives in the future. I don't even understand all of that. But that means that God knows all the stupid stuff I've ever done and all the stupid stuff I'm doing and all the stupid stuff I'm going to do. And knowing all of that, he still thought it was worth giving Jesus up for me. So my point to you is there's nothing you could have done or nothing that you have done, or nothing that you will do that surprised God. There was no, oh, well, if I had known that, right? Well, if I'd known you were going to say that, or look at that, or be that, no way, I wouldn't have done. No, he knows. He has always known. Man, don't you sense the beauty in that, like the, the stability in our relationship? And that's part of our inheritance. The helmet of salvation tells us that we are currently loved of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's a pretty big deal. So our, this relationship that we enjoy started then and it continues now. Salvation doesn't just benefit us someday. There's a whole benefit package that comes along with it. And so here's, here's my... Here's my encouragement to you about the help that you receive. We are called and empowered for kingdom living. Like Jesus Christ, when he was here on earth, talked all about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. 
And, and the way that we are supposed to live was outlined by the life of Christ and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we have the capability of living that way now. And this help that we have received is not just the fact that God loves us, not just the fact that we are secure in our salvation, but that we have been empowered to have the victory over the sin in our lives in order to be able to live the life that we are called to live. We are empowered to live here on earth this kingdom of life. Think of, think of not just rescuing, but restoring. Not just saving you from the fire, but restoring your life to the way that it ought to be. Because the systems of this world and how we interact with each other is not always effective. And God has a different way for us to live when we get that help. And then finally, our salvation offers hope. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This is a temporary situation that we're in. There will come a day when you won't have to battle sin and sorrow and doubts and discouragement. Hallelujah. We're not there yet, but that is the hope. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul tells us, he says, but let us, who are of the day, the difference between walking in darkness and walking in the light, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And remember, this is written to believers. And for an helmet, the hope of salvation. I love this. That we put on this helmet, not just to avoid hell, and not just to live a better life here on earth, but because we have hope. We have hope because we've been, we will be saved from the presence of sin. And that's a big deal. Like there will come a day when we don't battle that sin nature anymore. All of this is temporary. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in another world. Interestingly, uh, when, when Paul says to take the helmet of salvation, it's the first time he said to take anything. Everything else was put on. Remember? Put this on, put this on. The word take is really the word receive or accept. So it's not like you're taking it from somebody, but the previous armor items were laid out for the soldier to pick up. The helmet and the sword would be handed to him by an attendant or perhaps his armor bearer. So here's, here's the conclusion. Our helmet of salvation is a choice. It's being offered to you. So we're in two different buckets this morning. The first bucket is those that don't know the Lord. And here's your choice to accept the salvation offered to you. And I don't know what your history is. I don't know what your story is. But God loves you. God wants you with him for all of eternity. And he gave a son to make that happen. But it's your choice. 
So if you're trying to figure it out, you got questions, don't wait too long, all right? Let's, let's get that decided this morning. For me, I love knowing that I can point back to a time in my life when I was nine years old. I don't know if you can figure that out for you. I don't know if you have a time in your life. But for me, having a time in my life when I prayed and accepted Christ as my Savior is valuable and meaningful to you. I'm not saying you have to do that to be a Christian, but it sure has helped me identify when that took place in my place in my, in my life. So I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you're a believer and you are a follower of Christ, you still have a choice to make. Not whether or not you're going to go to heaven, not whether or not to accept Jesus, but to put on this helmet of salvation. To live like you trust Christ. To live in the restoration that he offers, because that's a choice too. Living in your relationship with a loving God. So that's the decision you have to make this morning. To trust Christ or to live like you do. That's putting on the helmet of salvation. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you for all that you've offered to us. And and, ah, so many walk around like the emperor's new clothes. Just, we don't even realize what we have. And help us to be empowered to live this kingdom life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.